0: So I want to talk to you about golf for a little bit. Golf is a very fun sport to play. Golf is easy to play, but it's actually very difficult to be good at. And if you've ever golfed before, you know exactly what I mean. Um, It's not that easy to hit a golf ball. It's actually quite hard to hit a golf ball. And my biggest problem in golf, and I'm sure this is everybody else's problem in golf, we have a hard time swinging the ball or the golf club to our ball. The hardest thing to do in golf is to hit the ball. And for me, I have a very inconsistent drive. Why? Well, because I grew up playing baseball. And so when I play baseball, I take my baseball swing. It's a golf swing. And this is like a basketball player trying to play football. It just doesn't mix. And so here I am, I'm driving the ball. I could drive the ball over 300 yards. But don't be impressed because it doesn't mean it's going to be in the fairway. Sometimes I drive the ball 300 yards way left of the fairway. Sometimes I drive the ball way right into the water. And the water baptizes the ball in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes my baseball swing gets in the way and it costs me a lot of money. Why? Well, because balls are expensive. And when you lose golf balls, you've got to buy more. But I can tell you, man, if, before, before you invite me golfing with you, I have to tell you this. I spend maybe about an hour, hour and a half looking for my golf balls. It's fair to say. And so before you invite me, just be aware of that. Um, but I got to tell you, there's a sense of relief whenever I find my lost balls. Because that means that I'm still in this hole, that I'm still on this, 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 this hole that I'm on, I'm still in the game. I, still, I don't have to take a stroke for losing a ball. So it's good news to me when I find a golf ball. And I'm telling you, when I'm driving down the, the, the course as our, after I just drove the ball over 300 yards and I see this white thing all the way down, in the, down there on the fairway, I start getting excited because I know it's a playable ball. But I'm telling you, there's some great disbelief that comes upon me when it's not my ball, it's a rock. Or it's something that I, it's candy wrapper on the course. It disheartens me. Uh, another bigger frustration, what happens is whenever I do go find a ball and it's not my ball, it's another golfer's ball and they're not on my same hole, but I get to take their ball and claim it as my ball. That's also a win-win for me. But then there's other times when I go and find that lost ball and it's been chewed up by a lawnmower or something and, and all that it is, is the cover of a ball. And this is, this is what I want to talk about today is because sometimes I pick up that golf ball expecting it to be something that it's not. And as I pick it up, what's real, what I realize is that the core of the ball is actually missing. And so as I'm looking at this ball, I can't use this to play golf. It's useless at this point. It's meaningless at this point. I can't, it, it has no value. It needs to be thrown away. And perhaps you've experienced this in other ways. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe you've lost a wallet. And in your wallet it had all your cards, had all your IDs, it had all your money in there. And you lost your wallet. Well, it gets turned into lost and found, and the person who turned it into lost and found just gutted out everything in your wallet. Here you are standing with the wallet with nothing inside it. It's meaningless. It has no value. And so, what do we do? And I'm sure um, this is something that we've experienced in other ways, but like I said, this morning we're going to be focusing on a truth that's found in one of the book of the Bibles today. And it's, it's very interesting because he talks about how in this life we strive after things that end up being meaningless, We strive after things that end up leaving us empty. And so the title of today's message is Don't Strive After Wind. Don't Strive After Wind. And why I mention this, uh, there's going to be some truths about this passage, is because in this life we, we see this happening, this meaninglessness happening. In Ecclesiastes, we believe that the author is Solomon. And Solomon, if he is the author, he writes by saying meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless now take that for some encouragement right like what are you gonna do with being told that everything is meaningless and so it's probably not the best inspirational way to start one of the book of the Bibles but the author like I said we believe is King Solomon and the purpose of his writing this book is to spare future generations which is you and I to spare us of the bitterness and of learning on our own experiences that living a life apart from God is meaningless That living a life apart from God is meaningless. And over 30 different times, uh, Solomon uses the word vanity. And it's important that you understand what he means by vanity. Sometimes whenever we hear vanity, we like to think of our bathroom sink. That's not the vanity we're talking about. Or maybe you think of something that is worthless or futile. That's on the right track. But what he really means is when Solomon says vanity, he's talking about a vapor or a smoke. And that's what he means by vanity. It's here and it's gone. We have to remember that. So looking at Solomon, or, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2, Solomon talks about the striving after winds. And what we're going to look at, we're going to look at four meaningless chases. And then we're going to look at the contrary and see how God can use these chases for his greater purpose. So we're going to begin our first chase in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It starts in verse 13 of our reading this morning. Words will be on the screen. Here's what Solomon says. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wealth, wisdom, Surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and to no folly. And I perceive that this is also but a striving after wind. For much wisdom is much vexation. That means frustration. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So the first meaningless chase that we see is there's a meaningless chase of earthly Wisdom. And we know what Solomon's talking in here because in verse 13, he says, wisdom done under heaven. This means what is done here on this earth. And so if he's talking about that, he says that this is an unhappy business. This is something that is not going to leave you so joyful in the end. And Solomon, what he said, he said, I applied my heart. What he's saying is I devoted time to this. I have set apart time to try to get the wisdom of this earth. And what does he say it? Well, it's a waste of my time. It was a striving after wind. In the same sense, that is one trying to capture vapor or smoke. Now, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but maybe you were out where it was cloudy somewhere or where it was foggy somewhere. And have you ever tried to just reach out and try to capture that fog? If you ever tried to, what do you have in your hand when you open up your hand? You have nothing. It's empty. It's void. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. And that's what he's talking about earthly wisdom is. So relating this to a meaningless pursuit is to discover earthly wisdom. Why does he say that? Well, what is earthly wisdom? Earthly wisdom is not eternal wisdom. Earthly wisdom is, it doesn't bring any eternal value. So the more you know about this world, it's really not going to do you any good in the end. And that's why Solomon's like, okay, this is pointless. Now I want you to consider this. Maybe you've had something happen to you where... You don't know why it happened to you. Maybe uh, something rocked your world and it's left you scratching your head. How did I end up here in the first place? What happened to me to get to the point where I'm at now? And what do I do next? You could have had an issue at work that has now changed the status of your employment. You could have had a landlord handing you a notice that you're being evicted. And it's not because you paid, didn't pay your bill. It's because of other factors that you can't control. Maybe you've received a health diagnosis by your doctor. Maybe you had a court subpoena given to you by your spouse. Maybe you've had uh, difficult questions like, how can a good God exist with so much evil in the world? Whenever there's many things like this happening in our life, we sit here and we try to figure it out. We try to get the earthly solutions as to what is taking place, especially when things are outside of our control. And I'm not saying that those problems don't have any weight. I'm saying they don't have eternal weight. And that's what Solomon is saying. They don't have any eternal value. So sure, these problems have weight, but they don't have anything that gives to eternity. And so finding the solution, finding the information, finding the wisdom for this, Solomon says, hey, you're wasting your time. In verse 15, he says this, what is crooked cannot be made straight. He says, what is lacking cannot be counted. What does he mean by this? Well, the truth is, is that there's going to be some things that happen to you, you're not going to get the full picture. It's not going to be right before you with everything saying, hey, this is what you need to do. God's not going to give you a clear sign that says, hey, this is why it's happening, you need to go do this. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. Chances are you won't have enough information to figure everything out. There isn't going to be this full revelation. So Solomon's warning is you can spend a great amount of time searching and seeking. And that time spent is something that you'll never get back. And so if you do figure it out, if you do spend time getting it, if you do spend time investing all this time, finding out all the wisdom about what your situation is, church, there's a chance that by the time you discover it, It's not going to matter because what's done is done. I mean, that's why he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. The meaningless chase will be to seek out earthly wisdom. I'm not going to lie, that sounds a little downing. That sounds like depressing. What do we do with this? Well, this is vanity. And so the meaningful chase would be to seek out godly wisdom. And so there is a difference. And so in James chapter 1, verse 5, James writes to us and encourages us that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously with all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So church, when we seek wisdom, when we need wisdom, we can't go to the world for it. We can't go to the world for the wisdom. What does the world have to offer to our eternal value? Absolutely nothing. And so when we are seeking wisdom, we have to be seeking wisdom that comes from above, not from under heaven. That is earthly wisdom. Wisdom. And so he also gives us a warning that we need to go to God with our wisdom. But the warnings are spelled out in verse 18. He says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. Remember I mentioned that's frustration. So in the more wisdom you get, you're going to be more frustrated. And we're going to talk about that because he who increases in knowledge increases in what? Sorrow. He who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. So what this means is that the more you know, the more you're going to be grieved. What this means is that the more you discover in this world, the more upsetting it's going to be for you. What he means is the more you find out, the more likely your heart's going to be hardened, especially towards people. I mean, my childhood was, was quite chaotic. I had parents who constantly, constantly fight. And I'm talking about brutal, brutal arguments. And a lot of times my dad will walk out on us and leave us. And my mom will be in her room just crying in puddles of tears. Now, I remember one time being in middle school, going into the room trying to comfort my mom, trying to show her, hey, I'm here for you. And then I'll start asking those questions, trying to figure it out. So mom, tell me what happened. Tell Tell me what's going on. And here she goes, starts giving me the information about all the bad that my dad has been doing. What do you think it did to me, church? It made me hate my father. It made me despise him. The more you know, the more frustrating it's going to be for you. The more you know, the more sorrow... Comes to you, and so Paul kind of reminds us like why this is foolishness. He says, "Wisdom from the world." In one Corinthians three nineteen, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Folly is foolishness. This is folly with God, and so contrarily, wisdom fr- from God is a direct opposite of folly. It's it's the direct opposite of foolishness. So the meaningful thing to do is to seek God for the wisdom. And how do you do this? Well, you do this by seeking Him. You seek God in prayer. You talk to God. You communicate with God. You bring your knees before God. You ask God, as James chapter 1, verse 5 says, you spell it out to Him. Ask for wisdom in a situation that you're facing. Seek His Word for it. His Word can help you navigate in whatever situation you're in. Also, not just that, but guess what? You get to communicate with fellow believers because we are all godly when we are in Christ, and you can be getting godly advice and godly wisdom from fellow believers. And so you've got to utilize and seek godly wisdom. And the, the great thing about our, our situations and our, our circumstances is that God, in Romans eight twenty eight Paul reminds us, he says, God, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. So whatever situation you're in, you know it's going to work out. It might not be the working out of what you had in mind, but it's going to work out. And he says it's for those who are called according to his purpose. And so what we can take from this is that we need to trust God. We need to trust God in our circumstances, trust God in our solutions, and trust God in our situations. And when we trust God, we can believe that he's going to give us the wisdom that we need. So the first first meaningless chase is something that you cannot catch. It's the wisdom of this earth. The second meaningless chase is spelled out in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This is what Solomon writes. He says, I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? Go down to verse 10. He says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure and my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The first meaningless chase is earthly wisdom. The second meaningless chase is earthly pleasures. Now, we skipped over a few verses. The reason why we skipped over is because I kind of want to highlight them. What did Solomon do? Well, we know Solomon was a very, very wise, wise person, but he didn't live it wisely. We know the story of Solomon. He kind of wasted his wisdom and he spells out the things that he did. He said, I used alcohol as a means of pleasure. He said, I built houses and vineyards as a means of pleasure. And church, you need to know that kings, when they built vineyards, this was like a status thing. This would make them like, wow you. You know, if you want to see how great I am, come come check out my vineyard. And he did this for pleasure. He planted gardens and trees as a means of pleasure. Purchased slaves as a means of pleasure. He even owned cattle and animals as a means of pleasure. He invested in gold and silver and all the kind of jewels and the the treasures of the kingdoms as a means of pleasure. He even had personal entertainers, both uh, singers and, and both male and female. He even then had concubines for his sexual needs for as a means of pleasure. Solomon said, whatever my eyes desired, whatever my eyes wanted, whatever my heart wanted, guess what I did? I went and I got it. An exhausting list of pleasures, an exhausting laundry list of horrible things. And his advice, after all of it, it's vanity. It's worthless. You're wasting your time. It's a vapor. It's a smoke that you cannot catch. And so Solomon is not saying that you as a believer cannot enjoy the pleasures of this life, but caution, because all the things that he just listed... I don't see how you could be glorifying God in your life if you have some concubines. You know what I'm saying? Amen, right? And and so Solomon has enjoyed all the pleasures of his life. Everything that you can think of. And he calls it vanity because the earthly pleasures never fully satisfied. They never fully satisfied. In a moment of our earthly pleasures, it brings a sense of fulfillment. In our moment, our earthly pleasures bring this moment where we feel good but it's just moments later where we're coming back to that throne of whatever it is saying, hey, I need some more, fill me back up. And that's the dangers of earthly pleasures is that it's fleeting. It's here for a moment, it's gone. And so this is a striving after and do not strive after the pleasures of this world. And what Solomon discovered is what many of us discovered is that there is nothing in this world that can actually truly satisfy us except one thing, and it's that, that is our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so fulfillment in this world does not last, but the more focus that we need to have is a meaningful chase, and that's to seek godly pleasures. Jesus talked about the fulfillment in him in the Gospel of John. On one occasion, he was at a well with a woman from Samaria, and he's talking to her. And he's like saying, hey, can you please get me a drink? And she kind of responds to him, and they have a conversation, but he proceeds to inform her that only he fully satisfies. In, in verse 13 of John chapter 4, he says, everyone who drinks of this water Will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him, they'll never be thirsty again. I will quench the thirst, is what Jesus is saying. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then two chapters later, he's talking to a, a group of people who are asking him, "Hey, our ancestors way before you, uh, with uh, they, they gave manna in, in the wilderness. What can you do, Jesus?" And Jesus says, well, you want to talk about bread? Well, here I I am. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so in a metaphorical sense, what Jesus is saying, he's like, hey, I am only one thing that can fully satisfy you, and it's only me who can satisfy you. The things of this world, they will not satisfy you. And I used to share my testimony kind of like this. I used to say, hey... In my entire life, I was on this pursuit of love. I was on this pursuit of satisfied. I was on this pursuit of trying to be fulfilled. And after every high, after I did drugs, and after every high I was on, I remembered coming to a crashing low. I, rem- I remember after every uh, bottle that I would go to, I would feel empty after I woke up from my, and being sober. I, w- I remember feeling that hollowness and that, that emptiness. I remember after every time I came to this crashing low, every time I went into a sinful indulgence, I remember the shame. That came over me. And it wasn't until I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. When all this started to change. That's when I realized that I was fully satisfied in Christ. And so whatever you're desiring in this world church. It's going to leave you empty. Remember Solomon is trying to spare you. From the exhausting fleeting uh, pleasures and pursuits that you go on. These are meaningless chases. So whatever you're desiring in this world. is going to leave you empty. Only Jesus can fully satisfy you. So we've talked about the first, which is earthly wisdom, the second, which is earthly pleasures. We're going to go into our third point now as Solomon writes about it in verse 12 of chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes. He says, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in the light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happened to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also a vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. The third meaningless chase is earthly living. Earthly living is a meaningless chase. Now our focus in this world, what he means by this, cannot be fixated on the things of this world. You and I, as Paul says, are citizens of heaven. What this means is that if we're citizens of heaven, we are no longer a residence to this world. And in First Peter, Peter talks about this. He says, you are just a foreigner passing through. You're here for a moment. You're here for a, a small period of time. This is not your home. You are a foreigner in a foreign land. And so Solomon, he says, and I see it was the wisest person. He says, I'm going to die just like the fool dies. And when we die, the reality is that everything that we built up in this world, everything that we've put our heart after, all the achievements and everything, they're not going to come with us. Our achievements, our status, our wise decisions, our earthly credits, they're not going to show up in our grave. They're not going to show up in our coffin. I mean, too many times we live our life measuring our life to the progress in a mindset that is actually apart from the will of God for our life. And so the worldly achievements that you're striving after, they're not going to matter after you pass away. To make us feel really insignificant, 10 out of 10 people die. 10 out of 10 people die. It's a fact. And the truth is, as an artist that I respect, he said this during a podcast. He said, I remember walking through a park. And in this moment, I became terrified. Walking through this park, seeing this older woman walking with her dog. I see these little kids playing baseball. And I think, every single person in this park is going to die. But this park will still be here. And it was here before me. And it's going to be here after me. Time is this thing that is going to continue with or without you. Reality, church, is when you focus on your earthly living, it's nothing but vanity. It's a vapor. It's a smoke that you're trying to catch, and you're never going to catch it. It's meaningless pursuit. So what Solomon is saying is that one should not live for this world. And he's not saying that you should just throw everything away and live like the fool. That's not what he's saying either. But instead, he's saying have a more meaningful chase. And that more meaningful chase would to be pursuing a godly living Living a life that will glorify Jesus Christ. Here's the reality, church. Future generations, they will not remember all the wise things that you've done in this world. Future generations will not remember the time that you went to the grocery store and and chose to get organic food over the regular processed stuff. They're not going to remember that. But here's what future generations will remember. That you are a man or a woman who bowed your knee to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what future generations will remember you as. And so, needless to say, we need to not build our life on perishable pursuits. Instead, we need to build our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this about wise living in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. And because it had been founded on the rock. And he continues to say that the fool actually builds his house on what? sand. And so when you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you experience wise, godly living. And check this out. When you build your life on Jesus, that godly living is going to come to you and he's going to help you manage you. He's going to help you manage and navigate you through the earthly living. That's the glory of Jesus Christ, right? And so here we go, wisest living you can do, the wisest thing you can do is to build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then Solomon then turns to a fourth meaningless chase and it's found in verses 18 to 23. We're going to read that now. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all, which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun for. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart to the despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by somebody who didn't work hard for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation, frustration. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So the fourth meaningless chase is earthly wealth. Now, remember, Solomon's frustrations here is that people will benefit off of the wealth that he's built up. His hard work, all the time that he spent and putting those hours in at work. Everything he's done, somebody else is going to benefit from it. So his concern is obvious that he worked all hard for this. How does he know that the next person is not going to work hard for it? And when he dies, the stuff, his wealth, and everything that he has built up, it's going to be enjoyed by somebody else. So the question is, how can he know or trust that the person who's going to get it and they benefit off it, how does he know they're going to be wise or a fool with all the stuff that they gain? And so his question is genuine. I mean, look at the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son do? He gained all of his inheritance, took it, and lived very foolishly. He wasted all of it. That was earthly wealth right there down the drain. So some of you wealth builders in here are probably like, this is horrible advice that Solomon is giving us because we want to set up our next future generation. And trust me, we'll get to that. The reality of wealth building is that you can spend your entire life trying to build wealth. And by the time you're at a place where you can actually enjoy your wealth, it could be a place when it's too late. It could be a time when maybe you can't travel anymore. It could be a time when you get to your life where you're now on a deathbed. It could be a time where you have nothing but wealth and you find yourself to be lonely. The truth is, is you can ask any celebrity, ask any any famous person who got wealth early on. And I'm pretty sure they'll have a testimony that goes along the lines that there's so many sleepless nights and depression that I face because I have all this wealth, but I have nobody I can trust. I have all this wealth, but it shows nothing for it. And so with this in mind, what we're talking about, church, is that building wealth is not a sinful thing. Some, uh, what do we do with this? Do we ignore wealth? No. Do we, do we look down on people investing into the future, uh, future generations to come? No. Wealth building is not a sinful thing. But Solomon argues that building wealth here on earth doesn't have eternal value. And like I said, that's the point of this whole sermon. The wealth you build up here on earth is not going to come with you to heaven. And so what Solomon is saying, if you reread what we just read, Solomon is saying that there's some negative impacts that come with building wealth. Negative impacts that come with building the wealth. And he's mentioned toil. Toil is a word that is used for a hard work. <coughs> Excuse me. Toil is a word that is used that you work so hard to the point of exhaustion. So with that in mind, let's take this a step further. Okay? Is your life really worth you working so hard? toiling to the point of exhaustion. And what happens when you do that? For All for something that's not going to last? You carry a lot of stress on yourself because of the hours that you put in at work. It's true. And I'm guilty of this myself. But when you toil so hard, you, t- you tend to have sleepless nights. I, actually, sometimes when you lay your head down on their pillow at night, you can't get work off of your mind. You see, this, this brings stress on us and then we lose hours of sleep. What happens when you lose hours of sleep? your health declines. And then, when you work excessively hard, you bring anxiety upon yourself. Toiling makes it seem as if you wake up, you go to work, you come home for dinner, you go to sleep, just to wake up, go to work, come home for dinner, and it's a cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again. And what happens, church, is that there's this no work or life balance. And when you work too much, it indicates that maybe you're more about your job than you are about your faith. This is wealth building here on earth. And if you're saying, well, no, Kevin, I have a paycheck to, I, I need to make a paycheck. I have to work extra to get more money. You're doing it because you don't want, you, you, you have that fear of not having a paycheck. And you think putting extra hours in is going to give you a promotion later on so that you can continue to build and build and build so you can have a greater and greater wealth. Solomon is saying that there's dangers to that. But that doesn't mean we can't enjoy the things of wealth. And so track with me because there's a meaningful chase and it's to have a godly wealth, a godly wealth. The wealth that you have, how can you use it for the glory of God? And I'm convinced that when you use the wealth that you have for the glory of God, the beautiful thing is that he's going to actually trust you with more wealth. And that's, that's, that's the economy of God that no one understands. And so think of it like this. And I'm going to brag on two families, not going to name them because I'm pretty sure I didn't tell them about this and I don't want them to feel like I'm singling them out. Um, and I don't also want to take any blessings from them. But I came before you all about three weeks ago asking for a need. I was taking a mission trip with 12 12 people up to Mount Vernon, Georgia. And a reservation I had back in February called me and said, hey, we don't have a van for you. didn't have a vehicle. How am I going to get a group of 12 people to a mission trip the very next day? We're leaving at 530 in the morning. How does this happen? And so I said, hey, you guys want to pray for me? Pray for a vehicle. Well, two of you, two families came before me after the uh, service. And they said, hey, we want to donate our vehicle to you. I'm like, what? This is amazing. This is what I'm talking about using the things that God has blessed you with for his glory. And both of their testimonies were very similar. When I came home and I thanked them so much and I handed the keys back to them, they said, Kevin, you don't have to thank me because this, this isn't my car. This is God's car. And I was so blessed by their testimony because that is a perfect picture of what I'm talking about, how we can use our wealth for a godly purpose. And so Solomon is not saying that wealth is completely corrupt, but it's wise to, it is wise to build health, but it, not to be consumed with it. And when you do get that taste of wealth, make sure you're using it for the glory of God. And so as we close out this message, if I could give you one take-home point of this entire message, it would be this. To strive to live a life purposeful for Jesus Christ. To strive to live a life purposeful for Jesus Christ. The reality, church, is that this world has a lot of beauty in it. It has a lot of good stuff in it. I'm not going to lie to you. It does. And we can enjoy some of it. We just cannot hold on to it forever. Because if we hold on to it forever, it's going to have a hold on us. And when it has a hold on us, we miss the purpose of why we even exist. So we exist to live a life that glorifies God. That's why you and I were created. That's why your heart is beating in these pews. And I want to look at how Solomon closes out Ecclesiastes because it kind of like, Puts a nice little ribbon and a bow on the present that he's given to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 12, verse 11 to 14, this is what he says. He says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. Of much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Two verses I want to point out here as we close is verse 11 mentions these goads. I don't know if you know what a goad is, but a goad are these sharp metal tips that are attached to a shepherd's staff. And as a shepherd is trying to get the cattle to move in the right direction, this is a metal tip that is poking them in their behind. Is pointing them in the right direction. That's what the shepherd's doing to the cattle and the animals. And so like goads, important truths, they might be unpleasant when we first apply them. But it would keep us moving in the direction that God wants us to move. And so today, what did we do? We looked at meaningless chases in this world. In response, we looked at the meaningful chases. But to sum it all up, church, strive to live a life that's purposeful for Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments. Now that is a meaningful life to pursue. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time in this pulpit to share the word, to share your word. I thank you for the words of Solomon that he's given to us and how he's using his experiences to spare us of a lot of heartache and a lot of frustration and vexation. But, Father, the truth is, is that there's many of us in here who, who we struggle with going to the world for wisdom. We struggle going to the world for our pleasures. We struggle with going to the world on how we should live our life. We struggle with how we should use our worldly wealth. But Father, I pray today that your word, that your Holy Spirit has convicted us to see the opposite, to see how we can seek you for the wisdom, to see how we can enjoy godly pleasures, to see how we can live a life that is purposeful for you, Jesus, having a godly living, and Father, I just want to pray that you would just teach us to use what you've blessed us with to use for the glory of you, Jesus. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be before us, as, especially as we prepare to take the communion table that's prepared before us. Father, I pray that you will be glorified and that your Holy Spirit will convict us to fall to our knees in confession of our sin so that we may be right made with you, Jesus. Lord, you be glorified today. And everybody said, amen.